1: Uh, Morena, New Zealand, good morning to you. It could be a feisty Friday in terms of uh, the rugby union and some announcements coming, uh, we believe, uh, out of that uh, particular office later today. So uh, we'll have Mark Hinton on uh, very shortly uh, to uh, work through a few of these issues that may well be sorted today. Then we'll open up the lines just after 9.30 and welcome your calls to win a chemist warehouse voucher to the value of $50. Um, On the back of Mark's uh, interview and uh, what you think might happen today, um, really, it's quite a quiet week in terms of uh, rugby and, and sport, to be perfectly honest. quiet quite weekend. Uh, so uh, that'll be the big talking point. There's no doubt about it. And after 10 o'clock, we'll be talking to uh, Del Woodford. Now, Del, of course, is a noted cycling commentator. Uh, and the 109th Tour de France is reaching its uh, peak. Uh, well, it's just gone over their peak, actually. They've had the last mountain section, but they, they get uh, to the point where they... Uh, wind up on Arc de Triomphe uh, down uh, Sunday morning, I think, New Zealand time. So it's the final weekend of the 109th Tour de France. James Regan and Ross Carr will be our panellists around 10.20 this morning. And then Dylan Boucher. We'll get Dylan Boucher, the CEO of New Zealand Basketball, and cover a couple of topics, including, of course, uh, how they're going in the Asia Cup, the Tall Blacks, uh, the three-on-three basketball at the Commonwealth Games plus the under-15 Nationals are on, and that is the next level down as we discover just how strong basketball is. We'll talk to Peter Henley. He's a Waikato Greyhound trainer. We'll talk to him uh, around about 11.20. We'll have a stump smithy for the weekend, and uh, Mick will round off uh, our guests around about 11.40 this morning with some harness racing news. 9.05 9.05 here on SENZ, and it promises to be a very interesting day out of uh, New Zealand rugby. With Some announcements, uh, some changes, uh, all sorts of speculation. It's been around six days since we've heard anything from the rugby union. Um, from uh, Mark Robinson when he said uh, it's unacceptable, we're we looking at these uh, <coughs> particular areas. Then we heard from Joe Malcolm, of course, uh, the media li- liaison lady who... Uh, took the blame, took the hit for what had happened at the weekend in terms of the press conference and now of course we've been sitting, waiting and uh, sitting, waiting along with us but speculating in more detail has been Mark Hinton of course who's been writing some great articles this week on where he thinks it might go and today is the day, Mark good morning to you, what are you ex- <coughs> are you expecting and at what time do you think it'll happen?
0: <laughs> who knows, Timothy, who knows look, um, there may or may not be a board meeting today there may or well, there will be an all-black squad named. We know that because there, ha- there has to be. They're pretty much out of time to do that uh, with the looming trip to South Africa to start the rugby championship. There may or may not be changes in the coaching setup. There may or may not be changes in the captaincy. But we've heard nothing. Not a thing nice. from New Zealand rugby all week. Uh, it's, it's, it's classic um, bury your head in the ground type of approach, isn't it? Look. Um, hard to believe that New Zealand Rugby has a communications team of around, I believe around 10 people, maybe more, um, if you include all the sort of uh, various other people they rope in, um, uh, because there's been no communication whatsoever out of New Zealand Rugby this week. And in one of the most pivotal weeks for it, you have to think, given what we've seen in the last three to four weeks, and you know what went on at the tail end of last year. So... Um, it's going, it's going to be interesting. Yeah, we will see. We will hear some things today, Smithy. Um, um, <clears throat> there's been reports that Sam Kane will be gone. There's been reports that some assistant coaches could pay with their jobs. There's been reports that Foster will survive, um, but that's all all been speculation. And, and and I guess we'll be clearer today on it when New Zealand Rugby speaks. Look, th- there has to be a lot of concerns on multiple multiple fronts. The All Blacks empire is crumbling. A, here yeah, there's no doubt about that um what's happening in new zealand rugby you know their whole strategy uh is, is scarcely believable smithy um with her we're, we're hearing um australian rugby making noises about leaving the only alliance we have left in, in the game basically in terms of the super rugby um we hear nothing on that you know the all blacks uh teetering on the brink we hear nothing. Look. Um, This group's meant to be getting more professional. It assures us they're addressing their issues. But if you're the public, you have to wonder about the capability of the people running the game. So perhaps today they turn a corner. We can only hope, Smithy, because something has to improve in terms of the way the game in this country is run. And something has to improve in in the way the All Blacks are managed and run um, under this current management group. Um, Remarkably, out of all this, what we seem to be hearing is that Ian Foster will survive. The guy who appointed mm. all these assisted coaches, who are apparently not that good, um, and the guy who appointed Sam Kane as his captain, who's apparently not that good, um, and the guy who picked the, the squad that toured last year and the picked the squad that played Ireland in this recent series, he will survive. I, I suspect that's because there's really no one available to take over. But um, um, I think the upshot's going to be... There will be changes of some description, but they won't be, it won't be the one I think that has to happen for this team to move
1: forward. See, this is, this is not the first time we've um, had this remarkable silence because remember at the end of last year when we lost those two test matches, Mark, they said we're going to undergo a review, um, but nothing really came out of that apart from the status quo, uh, to be perfectly honest, and here we go again. At the end of that review, all these assistant coaches, etc., got the green light to carry on, so is it just is it just the fact that uh, we we lost that series 2-1 which has been the turning point here or were they on their last warning at that point
0: i i think that yeah i think the um um straw that broke the camel's back as it were has happened uh, uh in terms of losing that series it's it's obviously uh, created a reality uh, that they weren't willing to accept at the end of last year I found it ironic that the All Blacks' media manager. And I, look, I, I, I enjoy working with Jo Malcolm, and she's very proactive in certain parts of the job. And you know, I like her as a person and everything like that. But I found it extraordinary. Well, took a couple of things that she launched a, a sort of a, a, a her um, response, I guess, to the situation. She saw it via LinkedIn. That kind of sums it up, really. That New Zealand Rugby sees LinkedIn as, a, as the platform to communicate on. Um, and also that, you know, she took some fairly broad pot shots at the media. I mean, it's kind of shooting the messenger there, really, isn't it? And, um, you know, this is a media that's been shabbily treated by New Zealand rugby and by the All Blacks for over a decade now. Just You, you, you work for Sky, Smitty. I don't think you realise what goes on in the real world. It's access to these guys. It's been, it's been pared back and pared back over over a long, long time, and uh, and the treatment, um, you know, cancelling of press conferences, which was highlighted in, in, in the recent um, fiasco, I guess, last Sunday, um, you know, isn't is a new thing. It's been happening uh, previously as well. And, um, yeah, yeah, I found it interesting that I guess the, the accusations were pointed at the media who were really only echoing what the public was saying and, and also raising con- legitimate concerns Um, Did it get a bit personal? Possibly, I don't know, I haven't read all the reports Um, And and do you feel for Foster? Of course you do, you know, he's a human, he's a a guy trying to do his job So you do, you know, those those are legitimate concerns, but uh, I, I just think that they're in such a form of denial It's really hard to see an effective way forward, it really is
1: doesn't seem that New Zealand rugby if you, if you look at um what we've got here it doesn't appear to, that there's a real leader at all or certainly there's no spokesperson from New Zealand rugby i mean i i, I like him or hate him i can't imagine that uh, steve chu would have been this silent this week
0: oh absolutely steve chu wouldn't have put up with what's been coming out of australia either um um and i understand the need for diplomacy and the need to maybe you know operate through Legitimate channels, rather than necessarily, you know, air all these things in the media. And a lot of what Australia is doing is kind of a game. Um, um, we get all that, but you just don't let a, another another organisation walk over you, like you know, Australian rugby is being allowed to do to New Zealand rugby. Steve Chu would not have put up with that. For all his fault, Steve Chu was a very bombastic individual who knew his stuff and didn't let people run roughshod over him. Um, and I, I can't imagine Steve Chu would have um, let the situation play out the way it has around all the silence. And and, and, and what they don't, well, maybe they understand, maybe I'm not sure really. I, I, a lot mystifies me about New Zealand rugby, but they don't appear, Smithy, to understand that their silence actually is counterproductive. It, it just produces more speculation. It produces more um, innuendo and all these sort of things that they you know that they complain about well it, 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 it's become it, it's happening as a product of their own inaction and, and silence they need to take control of the narrative they need to i guess present a strong face and they need to reassure the public that the empire isn't crumbling as some have portrayed it as because your black's brand is you know 120 odd years, 150, years, however you want, want to count it, it's a, over a century in, in its establishment and its building. Look, it, this it could all be brought down in a year or two, you know, all the costs. So it's really concerning, Smithy, and you know, and people like you, your listeners, uh, people like us in the media, we're concerned because we are worried about the future of New Zealand rugby and the All Blacks, and um, you know. Something has to change, That's what that was my immediate reaction on Saturday night, last Saturday night. Something has to change in the All My reaction after a week of what appears to be incompetent, something has to change in New Zealand rugby.
1: Well, it, it, it has been quite a long process. It's been a hell of a long week in the history of New Zealand rugby for exactly the wrong reasons, Mark. But I, I guess one of the reasons why it hasn't unfolded very quickly is they've had to go and find replacements, if that is the case. Um, so who are we looking at here coming and going? I mean, who's in, who, would, who would be prepared to walk into this All black environment right now and uh, perhaps put their coaching future on the line as such? You mentioned that there won't be a change at head coach, but what about the underlings? Where, where do you see the changes being made here and, and who could possibly come in?
0: Well, absolutely, John Plumtree and Greg Fika under the gun. Um, it's no secret that they were identified as, as weak points, um, around the two guys that basically run the All Black forwards um, at the end of last year's tour, and it doesn't appear to have been significant or, you know, much progress. So those two guys must be under the gun. Um, Plumtree keeps delivering a message of the All Blacks having to measure up and be physical and all these sort of things, but we just don't seem to see the results on the field. Greg Feek, of course, um, is the scrum coach, so... um, you know, we we just uh, so they're, they're the two guys you have to think are under the gun. But everybody must be surely Brad Moore, Scott McLeod, the defence mm. coach, Andrew Strawbridge, the guy that was added to the team this year. I'm not quite sure what he's been able to to do in in the short time he's been involved. But uh, everyone must be under the gun. Look, it's notable, isn't it? That in this week we're all wondering about the All Blacks. Scott Robertson just got named as the coach of the Barbarians to play an All Blacks 15 in November. So clearly, you know he's not available. <laughs> So I think I think Plan B, um, which is which you know everybody knows is Scott Robertson taking over, hopefully transferring some of that Midas touch he has with the Crusaders into the All Blacks environment. It's just not. It's it, it, he, he's not interested in it. The time frame doesn't work for him. Um, and maybe we'll know more about that. Maybe we won't. But clearly he's accepting these jobs uh, elsewhere. Um, so you know he, he he's now. He, he applied for the job um, after the 2019 World Cup and got given pretty much short shrift for what we can work out. So I guess he's within his rights to play things by his own, his own rules. Joe Schmidt shaped as a, kind of an obvious caretaker coach maybe situation if, if they did want to get rid of Ian Foster. But I'm not sure, sure. Smithy, he wants that either. He's really made a big point of, of kind of easing himself into the New Zealand rugby and I think everything's in fast forward mode with him. As it is, there's talk that his role will be expanded, that he may have kind of a director of rugby-type approach under some sort of management shake-up that could could or could not be announced today. So there's a lot going on, isn't there? But everyone seems reluctant at the moment to take on what must be considered a poisoned chalice.
1: Well, the other thing, uh, of course, is the captaincy issue. It's not very often the All Blacks change uh, their captain of choice. Uh, I, I can't think of that happening very often. Uh, and him staying no. still within the squad, um, that, that would be an odd thing, but uh, here's the thing are we looking at a straight out choice between Sam Whitelock and Ardi Savier and if we've got two strong candidates there, is that dangerous when you when you go for one and and perhaps the other has a bit of a following within the group what are we what are we looking at Look, in that particular area?
0: A couple of thoughts on that. I feel for Sam Kane here. Um, I'm not so sure.
1: I wasn't totally convinced he
0: should have been captain in the first place, but they named him, and I'm not so sure, you know, how much of this is his direct fault. But but if it's if it's kind of perceived that there needs to be a change here, to me, there's a choice of one, not two. You mentioned Adi Savia. Adi Savia, let's make no bones about it. Adi Savia is the best All Black by a country mile. Closely followed, well, followed, not closely if I say by a country mile, but followed by Will Jordan. At the, at the moment, those two players are New Zealand's only players that would even threaten to be in, an, in a World 15. Man, that's that alone says a lot, doesn't it? When you think about, um, you know, All, All Blacks and I guess, you know, world-class nature of All Blacks, we've only really got two at the moment it, it, under current performances. Uh, and Artie Sevier is is such an important player for the All Blacks. I don't believe they should give him the captaincy. I don't think he's a great captain. He kept it in the All Blacks against the box last year, and I didn't think. I, I, I just think he's such an important player, and he's such a uh, instinctive type player. Giving him something more to think about on the field maybe just takes a little bit away from that. I would leave Artie severe unencumbered in terms of he is a natural leadership role anyway, and I think he is such an important player for the All Blacks. Why would you want to mess with that? Sam Whitlock would do the job admirably. It looks like he's regained his form. Um, it looks like he's an automatic selection give it give it to him if there has to be a captaincy change and then make seven contestable which would then bring a point who, who moves into seven if it's not Sam Kane well it's either Dalton Papaliti or Hardy Savier isn't it? Do you want to change things up bring in Cullen, there's talk that Cullen Grace and some degree will return and bring some physicality to the All Blacks pack um, you know I think that's probably an uh, absolutely certain I think they need a guy like Cullen Grace but he's not going to answer any any, any sort of magic questions but he is going to sort of be a step in the right direction and I think Ethan De Group should have been there all along so that one was mystifying so yeah there will be changes um, but I wouldn't give it to Artie Sevilla sorry to be long-winded about that sweetie, but I just think Artie Sevilla is such an important player don't mess with him.
1: Okay so um, just finally Mark if there is to be a press conference this afternoon there is to be a team naming who will be there? Who would you like to see at that? Who has to, and what kind of questions will be asked?
0: Well, it has to be in Foster. Um, and, and, and really, the, he's the only one. Um, maybe the new captain, if it's Sam Whitelock. But it has to be in Foster. He's the one everyone wants to hear from. Um, you know. And he's had a week to get his thoughts together. So um, we, it should be powerful stuff. Um, hopefully, it's, re- it's reassuring. Hopefully, it's... it's um, it's reflective, and hopefully it's honest and transparent. I, I, I want to hear him say that they're getting it wrong. I want to hear him say that there's a lot they have to address. I want to hear him say that they are falling behind the best teams in the world. I think it's public want to hear that, Smithy. And and I, I think Ian Foster's... I don't, look, personally, I don't think he, I think the general rugby is guilty of making the same mistake three times now. They appointed him, they reappointed him, and they haven't sacked him when they've had the chance. So that three mistakes, and last time I checked, three strikes and you're out. But this is the world we live in. We, um, there are possibly no alternatives and Ian Foster is going to be the head coach so we need to hear him accept that what's happened in the last two years, isn't, well, particularly last year, hasn't been good enough. We need to hear him, I guess, promise that change is coming because it needs to happen.
1: It's a day of reckoning, Mark Hinton. Thank you so much for your time this morning, your opinions and uh, your articles that you write uh, so often. Uh, I imagine you've got a nice one looming at this point uh, and just ready to go to print. So we look forward to that. Uh, And thank you for your time this morning, mate. Thank you.
0: Go on, you Cheers.
1: (laughs) Yeah, cheers, Mark Hinton there. uh, He'll be poised. He'll be poised on the keyboard, I can tell you that, and something will come out of this. There's nothing surer than that. Uh, And it'll be a case across for all the rugby journalists in this country who have really, one by one this week, uh, had a go. And it's all been a very uh, common theme, really. Enough is enough. Will today satisfy that? Will today's announcement satisfy that? And how will they go about it? It is 9.22 here on SENZ. Right, it's uh, 9.27 here. We've got a few texts coming in. Uh, I think it's a shocker if they don't move Foster along but they do remove Kane and the assistant coaches as reported. These were all Foster's picks. He is accountable for creating a successful environment and hasn't. He's a head coach and picked the coaches, team, and captain. He's obviously uh, He obviously knows there are issues from the end of the year tour, but uh, he did nothing and still picked Kane as captain. Fall on the sword man. That's from JJ. Well, I don't think it's going to happen, JJ. And I, I just wonder here's a, uh, I can, this is a left field thing. Uh, whether he did to the New Zealand Rugby uh, say, I've got issues with my um, assistant coaches, etc. cetera, I'm a bit worried about it when they had that review at the end of last year. Uh, but the Rugby Union said, well, that's your lot. You pick them. Uh, we'll have, have a crack next year uh, because it's going to cost us a hell of a lot of money to get rid of all these people uh, with uh, a year and a bit to run on their particular contracts. Uh, so let's just uh, Taiho, and if we do well against Ireland, um, you know, this, this problem might go away. Well, of course we didn't. We didn't, so uh, there you go. Uh, please, please, please pick Tom Robinson, says uh, one texter. Richard's coming in and said one word only, Gatland. Uh, Jamie has come in, uh, Jamie from Wanaka. What if Japan has a successful World Cup campaign? Does Jamie Joseph come into the picture? Never rule out Jamie Joseph. Uh, Simon, very, very simple in what uh, Simon has said here, and that's not a pun either. NZR, you are pathetic, uh, which is quite an interesting Point of view as well, and I think uh, it's fair to say too that uh, <coughs> that people have had uh, uh, a lot of people have had a bit of a gutsful uh, We've been reading this out before, but uh, I think I'll read it out again because uh, tomorrow is the day, uh, and it is uh, about a charity uh, day rugby match on the 23rd of Juma- to July tomorrow at uh, Hauraki North Rugby Club. It's to raise funds and awareness to motor neuron disease. Uh, with the jerseys, among other items, being auctioned off at the end of the match, it's with the Thames Valley Rugby Union, and for a guy Miles McDuff who's suffering from the condition. For more information, check out the Halaki North Rugby Club Facebook page. I can tell you, uh, uh, an absolutely wonderful cause. It is a horrific condition that uh, these uh, people go through, and uh, you know I've seen it. I've seen it unfold myself, and it's it's not. It's just not nice. It, it's, and so they need all the help they can get, all the money they can get. So anyone that can support that by going to that uh, Facebook page or actually going to the match or making a donation uh, would be gratefully received. Wish you all the best with that uh, particular event tomorrow at the Horaki North Rugby Club, which will take the news and then invite your calls here on 0800 150 811 to win a Chemist warehouse voucher to the value of 50 bucks. I would imagine there's a few pin- opinions floating out there. Uh, and a few answers that we might get this afternoon. What are you expecting? It is 9 30. Here's Aroha.
2: Talk Back Time with Smithy. Brought to you by Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. Call now for a chance to win today's $50 Chemist Warehouse voucher. 0800 150 811.
1: Okay, right, it's 9.32 here on SENZ, and uh, it's uh, D-Day for rugby, it seems, down at head office, uh, which means some of our Old Faithfuls uh, have got to come in and give us a call and and tell us about what uh, they think's going to happen. So, uh, Old Faithful number one, Dean from Dunedin. Dino, uh, good morning to you. Bit of bloodletting this afternoon, you're you're picking? Uh, Hang on, we'll we'll knock off for the day. Yeah,
3: yeah, um... (laughs) Mate, I'm, I can't believe it. Like, if what, if what you're hearing on social media is true, that he's going to sack the captain that he picked, he's going to blame the Ford's coaches that he picked, and he hasn't resigned, there's something hugely wrong. Like, that's, that's not right. And then, to make it worse, I hear that good old Justin got stuck into someone. I don't know who it is, but I don't blame him. But I remember when I was playing Smithy, and there's just club rugby down in the Pirates, the mighty Pirates, we take on Balfour, like where the hell is Balfour? And they had, all oh, my relatives are from there actually on the horror side, so I know you know where it is, but they had a Welsh bugger play with him and he kicked goals from everywhere. They beat us 9-8 and I think I missed five or six kicks a goal. Couldn't believe it, just couldn't believe it. Went home after the game and threw my $300 Adidas kangaroo skin boots in the fire. My mum knew I'd be pissed off, so she was home when I got there, and she hauled them out. And I said, why are you doing that? I need new ones. These ones are no damn good. She's just calm, relax. I said, I can't. I absolutely can't. I felt sick that we lost to Balfour. And that's club rugby. First Pirates team ever to lose to Balfour. The All Blacks go on the town after losing to a very, very good Irish team. But they should have been having a beer in their motel room with their wives and girlfriends who shouldn't be there for a start.
1: What's that all about? I don't get it. I don't. Well, that's just the way of the world. You you know, you you just get on and and do what you do. Whether they felt that was the end of a campaign, an unsuccessful campaign, um, Dino, uh, you might be right. Um, uh, I think uh, the majority of them probably did stay in. Uh, The majority of them, um, you know, uh, would have been licking their wounds quite a lot. I would imagine, Uh, wouldn't have shown their faces too much uh, then. But yeah, I, I I get your point. Um, uh, I'm not quite sure whether it was a bit of a beat up the thing with uh, with Justin. Um, I think it was Akira Ioani or not. Uh, I, I wasn't even I wasn't anywhere near it, so um, I don't know what the situation was. But certainly, yeah, you got to be a bit careful, Dino. But uh, and what happened? To, uh, we need to know though what happened to the boots. What, what did your mum do with the boots? Did you, did you play with them next week, or was and say, well, it's actually the feet nah, inside uh, the boots, uh, or what? Fire was, no,
3: fire was fire was roaring, mate. Like kangaroo skin goes good on a fire. No, I'd go buy new. one three hundred bucks? I um, geez, what Frank Goodall sold them to me. Frank Goodall in good bugger. Knows a lot about softball. Sold some pretty good rugby boots. Sold me two pair in one season. Pissed me right off. But never mind, that's the game. It is one of <laughs> that is
1: It is the game, Dino. Fantastic call. Cool. Uh, I just love that story, man. We've so got to have a beer at some stage, you and I. uh Zade uh, from Auckland. Hey, hey, Zade. Uh, we haven't even mentioned it, but you're going to a fight for life last night. what do you reckon? Yeah, it was good.
2: Obviously, you had, you had Jay Reid beating Tammy Davis. Um, you obviously had Honey. Absolute, oh, I was actually getting something to eat and drink, but I actually missed Honey knocking out Tegan, but that one didn't last long. That was always going to happen. It was the biggest mish, mismatch on the card. You know, um, Honey was an ex, ex-Rubby and Rugby League player, and um, Tegan just works on my FM, so that one was probably one of the mismatches on the card. Um, you had uh, Jerome Pampelone. That was actually pretty even, uh, but he got a good knockout. I think it was about sixth round against um Josh Chucky Francis. So, um the Dino will be happy with that. Dean Lonergan, I'm talking about. Um you obviously had Liam Messon getting another one against James Gavitt. So um I think it's an, I think Liam Messon's still unbeaten. Um, which is good and he has um Andre Mikhailovich uh, winning in eight rounds against Francis Whiteside. and then the main event, um which actually screwed my multis on the TAB, which was Paul Fatawera upsetting Carlos Spencer.
1: Right, okay. But, Can I go back to the Mikhailovich fight? Um, he was supposed to uh, win this one quite comfortably. That was the predictions, but Waito very good, apparently. It, was, it wasn't clear-cut at all.
2: No, nah, it wasn't clear-cut, but um, Mikhailovich is landing landing a bit more than him. And, um, you know, he's got the speed of but yeah, I don't think he was that happy with the performance um, over Francis Weissai. and no, I don't think he was the most enthralled with it because he's usually wins his fights pretty quick, but, you know, um, I guess, yeah, a bit of a different opponent. It um, actually seemed there was actually quite a few more Francis Weissai fans at the um, uh, there, even it was um, in Auckland where Mikhailovich fights out of Peach Boxing. Um, and, um, yeah, I just want to say something... Um, Hopefully uh, Mike King got quite a bit of money. Um, uh, you know, obviously does a great, he tries to do a great job um, helping out mental health in New Zealand because the government, like he was saying last night, I um, was just saying pretty much the government just don't really give a crap about mental health. So that's what his views are, were on. So I hope he raised quite a bit of money for I Am Hope because that's what the night was built around. And I know Dalton Papali'i actually um, was doing a, every I think was it every tackle he was donating was it. $35 he did this year in the Super Rugby, so Dolz um, and he donated quite a bit this year. Um, I think I've heard. Mm. So, yeah, I hope my King had yeah. a good night. Angus, quick, quickly, one last thing before I go. On the rugby, mm. um, if Sam Whitelock's the new captain, that's a great idea because he's the most experienced and he always starts until he retires. I think Sam Whitelock should be the captain. Um, he's one of the only dudes probably there that's been... Hey, hey, wait. Because did he make his date? Was he in the 2011 World Cup even as well? Because he's been around for a while, Sam um, Wailock, so hasn't he?
1: Been around for a long, long time, Zade. He has. And uh, if they pick him, they, um, they'll get a good man. You know that. Absolutely. Uh, thanks for that, Zade. Thanks for that review of the boxing, too. Uh, really enjoyed that. Um, Nev. Nev from uh, Invercargill. Good morning to you, mate.
4: Good morning, Smitty. How are you?
1: Oh, look, I'm, I'm not ringing I'm, to- wait. I'm waiting. I'm waiting, mate.
4: I'm not I'm not ringing to bitch about the All Blacks. I've had a gutsful. Um, okay,
1: cool.
4: If they continue to do what they're doing, they're going to self-implode. And um, it looks as though Mum and I will be playing Scrabble on Saturday nights. And if you think there's controversy in a rugby game, you wait till you see the Scrabble game. So um, <laughs> we'll see what happens. But um, I'm just ringing to say thank you to you. Um, I won a $50 voucher on Mick Guerin's trotting show on Sunday. And I heard you have a little casual whisper to who, um, um, what's his name? Louis, On the show yesterday about a horse at Hawke's Bay. Yeah. So I went back to my phone and I thought, oh, yeah, might as well. So I stuck it on um, that she's so reliable.
0: That's correct, so yep.
4: 50 bucks at, at $3.60. So thank you very much. I had a great day. And I'm going to buy a little bottle of red tonight and just enjoy it.
1: Thanks. Nice bottle of red wine and a game of Scrabble. Um, and with the TAB's money, I can't think of a better way to, to, to spend a Saturday night, Neville. <laughs> <laughs> it won't make headlines, though. <laughs> you beauty, you beauty, Nev, Thanks for that, and uh, and good on you for cashing in. I uh, absolutely love it. So uh, we'll go to Joey, is it from Auckland next? John, sorry, John. Good morning to you, John.
5: Yeah, morning, Smitty. Um Great callers you have had this morning. Um, firstly, yeah. I just want to acknowledge um, Poor Fatuira, mate. Like uh, what a fight last night. No one, no one thought that he would win. Um, but uh, just a quick story on Poor Fatuira. He actually saved my life. I was actually going through a lot of stuff a few yeah, I was going through a lot a few years ago and uh went to a seminar where Paul Fatueda was talking about um everything he was going through. Um, through mental health and I was going I was struggling at that time in my life and, and what he said uh resonated with me and he spoke to me and, and and that helped me in my life and my journey and to become a better person and a better husband. So yeah, I just want to acknowledge him before I go on and yan about the All Blacks.
1: That's <laughs> great. Um, it's, a, it's a terrific. It's a terrific story, John, uh, and uh, I thank you for sharing that with us. Uh, to be perfectly honest, I, I had no idea that he was a, a motivational speaker of that caliber. So, um, thanks for that. And what about the rugby?
5: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, we we've all been waiting, mate. And I think you said it the other day. You know, it paints a, a thousand words. Um, this waiting game, the New Zealand public are waiting on, and um, you know, just it adds to the fire, especially when we saw that footage of of Marshie and Akira Iwani. I mean, I was just like, oh no, here we go again. I mean, it pretty much epitomises where the All Blacks are at, where their mind is at at the moment. I mean, you know, Marshy has always been, he's a halfback mate, so you know what he's like. <laughs> he's, he gives you a goal for, but he's a good man. Um, it's just really sad to see, but. Yeah, I think the changes that they said uh, they're about to make um, probably won't be enough, mate. I mean, South Africa, they're at home. Uh, They can't wait to beat us. I don't think they've beaten us twice in a row since since Israel Dag was playing, probably. So um, (laughs) we're just going to have to wait and see, mate. We might be heading into next week the way this is happening.
1: Yeah, we might. We might not be getting all the answers that we want. Uh, we, We might get some uh, John, thank you so much for your call. Uh, uh, some great stuff there. Uh, Jeff, uh, Jeff, the ref from Cromwell, you had him late yesterday. We got him early this morning. Jeff, good morning to you.
6: Yeah, morning, Smithy, It's about minus five here in Cromwell, Vegas. The fogs are coming, but uh, yeah, can't wait to see what the outcome's going to be. Uh, just a couple of things that sort of, I'm a baby boomer, but like yourself, getting along on the teeth, but. I remember Eric Watson in 1979 had an all-black side that couldn't hang on to the ball or pass, you know. and they went to Australia, and Stu Wilson was captain of that side, actually, and they couldn't hang on. They got absolutely smashed by the Aussies. So when they got back to Dunedin, old Eric Watson made them train with a red brick, the old Muskellings red brick, and I tell you what, the following test match, they were, had a blinder, so it could be it, that something in that, Smithy, you know. Um... And the other thing that sort of sticks out, when Tony Gilbert was coaching, Wayne Smith's assistant, I'll never forget, coming down from the box, thinking the All Blacks had this, you know, two penalties later, or two line outs later, and a penalty later, John Hills kicks that, uh, unfortunately, that uh, last yeah. minute goal to win it. And then yeah. Wayne Smith thought, you know, at the conference, does they really want to coach the All Blacks? And that probably cost him that head job at the time. Um, so it would be interesting to see what Foster whether he's got the same sort of mindset whether what's your thoughts on that one
1: look I think um, I think Ian Foster is pretty determined to get it right and he's pretty pretty keen to get that opportunity again uh, Jeff I think um, you know, he won't. Uh, he's a decent. He's a decent man, and um, if he loses some assistance uh, this afternoon and uh, advisement, or whether or not, he won't, have, he won't be doing it easily. Um, you know, because um, these guys are, are mates as well. He's going to have to knock on the head if, if that's the case. So, <laughs> I don't think, don't think he's, um, don't don't think he's enjoying this for one second. Um, and uh, I, 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 we're only speculating. Jeff, we're only speculating. Um, uh, But you can bet the press conference is going to be a good deal warmer than it is down in Cromwell, or Crom Vegas, as you call it, right now. It's 9.45 when we come back. uh, We've got another couple of callers on the line. We've got to take a break. Summer
7: or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ.
1: 9.50 here on SENZ. Joey from Auckland, thanks for being patient, Joey.
8: Yeah, no, Smithy. Look, you've got to be on the same page, and and now now things are going a little bit pear shaped for Foster. He's trying to turn the page, by the sounds of things, and, and and saying, you know, that he's had problems, made possibly with the other coaches. You know, Smithy, you, you look at it, and 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 if you were in a boardroom and you sat down and you had Scott Robertson's CV and their CVs, it, it would be it would be a no-brainer. I mean, you look at you look at what what um, they've done. I think Foster won a, a um, Super 15 with um, Dave Rennie as assistant, and Plumtree I think won one. Scott Robinson's won, won six or seven, seven, seven I think. You know, and then also too, you've got I believe Scott McLeod's the defensive uh, um, coach or there. Well, well um, France put 40 on us. Ireland have put 30 on us. So that's obviously not working, is it? You know, so I mean, it, you know, and, and it's a big, big thing. Defence wins wins Test matches and and all day long, without a doubt. You know, you've got to get that right. And 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 I don't know how they're going to do it. It's going to be very interesting in the, in the next uh, you know forty eight hours, 20, 24 hours. And also too, Mark Robinson should be on the front foot. He should have said on Monday, we're having a, a, a meeting with the press on on Friday. And then he, he goes and tells um, uh, Foster, you've got to get everything sorted out, what you want to say on Friday, because this is when we're having the meeting. You haven't even hardly heard from it.
1: No, no, that, that's the thing. I mean, we, we've heard nothing. And, and when you have a, a, a vacuum and empty space, uh, Joey, uh, that's the problem, because you then have your own ideas and you start creating your own conspiracy theories, etc. Uh, and they've left it. Uh, the 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 architects architects of their own demise in this particular week anyway with lack of information uh, do we have time for Bruce from Christ, we don't we Sorry, Bruce um we've uh, we we've got to go mate so uh, thanks very much I, I know you wanted to talk about silver lake uh, we'll get you uh, please on monday morning mate you can be third, first cab off the rank with uh, there'll be a lot of reaction over the weekend we'd love to hear your opinion Bruce thank you it's 9:53 here on SENZ you
6: got to know when the whole of Know when
2: Smithy's Smolty.
6: Know when to walk away, and know when to run.
2: Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today.
1: Right, Warriors uh, plus twelve and a half points uh, against the Raiders uh, this weekend. A dollar so I'll take the twelve and a half point start. Uh, Storm to beat the Rabbitohs uh, at a dollar and uh, England to beat South Africa in a one-day international cricket match uh, overnight as well at $1.56. So the Warriors plus 12.5, storm into England, uh, and that'll uh, round out at $5.34. Incidentally, uh, yesterday's one was going great. Uh, the Broncos did beat the Eels quite comfortably. Alcarez uh, won over Koyanovich. Uh, but Kroshikova, who was a $1.35 favourite, got whopped six-two-six-three in straight sets by Potapova, Put an end to that, so you can't trust the market when it comes to, to some of these things. We're going to be talking um, Tour de France in the uh, next hour with uh, Del Woodford, of course, uh, noted cycling commentator. Uh, they are uh, just approaching uh, the last couple of days of it, to be fair. It's the 109th edition of the, the famous race and then on Sunday they'll head down the Champs-Elysees uh, as, as tradition and uh, their salute to, um, to the race really it, it won't change positions at that point but uh, traditionally that's where they finish so Del Woodford uh, very shortly uh, and then we'll have uh, also of course uh, later in the hour a panel
7: From behind the stumps to behind the mic nothing gets past Smithy this is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ
1: here on SENZ and the Tour de France is one of those big annual sporting events that come around and you just watch in awe over their physical prowess and their ability to push their bodies to the limit day in, day out as the Tour traverses through Europe en route to Paris. Well, the Tour is now approaching its epic conclusion with just three stages to go until the competitors arrive at the Champs-Elysees. Uh, through all the climbs, the hilly stages, the mountain stages, it's a grueling gruelling tour of endurance and there's absolutely no doubt about that. Fatigue sets in more than once uh, in a daily excursion. Joining us uh, here on SENZ in the mornings is uh, cycling commentator Del Woodford. Uh, welcome to the show Del, uh, thanks for your time and uh, just reviewing uh, what's been an, uh, another epic one, the 109th, 109th edition of The Great Race.
9: Oh, thanks very much, Ian. Thanks for having me on. Um, you're right. It's been an amazing race, 109th. I think they just get harder and harder every year. And watching it from, from day one, you know, when it, when it started almost three weeks ago, it's just been a brutal race every day. It's, it's like they're riding one-day races. These guys, there's been no rest day, no let-up. And uh, it's been a, a battle, one of the best I've seen for, for a number of years on this tour.
1: Conditions too, aside from the you know the terrain that they have to encounter, it's been pretty warm in Europe.
9: It's been brutal, hasn't it? And um yeah, they've, got, they've you know, taken, the, the expanded the feed stations that are allowed to take water up to five kilometres to go. But even so, you know, riding in those you know high thirties, um, it's mm. just difficult to get enough water and fluid. And I think on on the day that we saw the defending champion Tadej Pogacar crack was was due to heat and maybe lack of fluid and, you know, nutrition, because it's difficult to just take so much on, um, you know, throughout the course of three weeks, but just on those brutally hot days. You just can't, can't get enough and just yourself to keep going.
10: This
1: guy, uh, P- Pagachara, Tade Pagachara, of course, uh, he was looking for the three-peat, one it in 20, won it in 21, just 23 years of age. Tell us a wee bit about him.
9: He's a racer. Uh, he's unbelievable. He's already won, you know, in his young career, nine stages of the Tour de France, the most of anyone in history at that age. So, um, yeah, and and he's he's a great competitor. He still did even up to today, didn't give up, didn't trade, even though he's only got four riders left in his team, including themselves, so three to help him. Uh, he he's raced hard. I think he's raced maybe a little bit too hard some in, on some of the stages, in particularly in that first week. You know, we saw over the cobbles of, of France. Uh, attacking and, and riding really really hard and you know in the end it was only for a few seconds and and listening to other commentators from from europe and that saying you know all this energy you know sprinting for stages sprinting for eighth place will take its toll later in the tour and you know all those little bits of energy used could have been what what cost him on that on that one day where he you know where he cracked and, and lost that minute on a minute and a half on stage 11. But he hasn't given up. He hasn't given up trying. He's exciting to watch, and for fans, it's just he, he's just fantastic. They just love the way he takes on everything and and has a go at everything. Um, yeah, he's really exciting for the, for the sport. And and you know, he, he's not going to win this year's tour, but he's really put on a great show.
1: Yeah, 3 uh, three minutes 26 at the moment is the lead for uh, Jonas Vingegaard. Of course, uh, he's from Dane and ironically that's where the tour started this year in, in Copenhagen and uh, he was one of the pre-race favourites and uh, yesterday he broke him, I guess, effectively to, uh, in, unless there's some sort of real catastrophe, it's his, isn't it?
9: Uh, it's a done deal, yeah, and yeah, you know, he would have to probably crash in the time trial and get a puncture and... You know, have a really bad day to, to lose that sort of time because he's, he's pretty good in the time trial anyway. And yeah, starting in Denmark, and then I heard the you know the, the head of Denmark, the president or the prime minister, say you know we'd love to have a Danish winner. I thought to myself, oh you might be lucky. Um, that's a dream, but it's going to come true. They started there uh, and they've had a fantastic tour. You know they they had Magnus Cort and the King of the Mountains jersey winning the stage. Uh, they, they've had a fantastic tour as a country. And to take that, um, but yeah, he can't, I don't think he's well, he can't lose, can, you've still got to finish the bike race, And but with, with only, you know, three stages, 344 kilometres to go, no one's going to take the yellow jersey off, and his team will look after him, um, they've still got, you know, they've only lost two out of their team, and, and they've ridden brilliantly as well, they'll protect them all the way through
1: to Paris now. He won, he also won King of the Mountains, yeah?
9: Yes, he's in the King of the Mountains jersey. It's pretty tight though, so it's going to be interesting to see whether there's a couple of climbs left. They're only small, and I don't know the points off the top of my head for for the category climbs left. But he's he's quite about eight points clear, I think, of Simon Gershka, the German, who's been been battling uh, to to defend that jersey, and then an Italian just sitting in a little bit behind in third. So, you know, whether we see Bingega go for those points and take the King of the Mountains jersey as as well, or he. Just let Simon Gersha go, and 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 yeah, um, him and she only you know battle it out. We'll we'll wait and see. But it's nice to see. I think the best climber in the race in polka dot jersey. It's not something you always see on the tour of France because the best climber is usually defending the yellow jersey. So um, to see him up there, and then in the points competition, you Teddy Pogacar is he's lying second. He might be you know a couple of hundred points behind Wout van Aert. He's leading. Um, but, you know, it just shows how hard both those riders have raced during this tour to be right up there in the other classifications as well, the sprint and the, and the KOM.
1: There was a tremendous display of sportsmanship uh, between uh, Vingegaard and Pogacar, um on the, the stage last night with, uh, I think, Vingegaard actually uh, waiting for him uh, to catch up at one point.
9: It was. It was nice to see, like, he was being attacked on the downhill pretty hard um, on the descent, like uh, Vingegaard clipped his pedal on the corner and nearly came down south. and it would have been interesting to see if he had have come down, if Tani <laughs> Pagata would have been kind enough to do the same. Um, it was probably a little bit of an easier decision for him to make. I think there was about 26 kilometres to the next climb when that happened, and that's a long way to go solo when you're in front of the bike race you've got a big lead all you have to do is stay with your closest rival he didn't have to really put time in him so i guess it was a, a fairly easy decision he didn't have to do it and it was nice to see and something that patty Pagacha certainly appreciated and we saw them shake hands and you know him say thanks because uh a pretty scary moment um i think they both had a pretty scary moment on the on that descent and it shows the respect they have for each other when you see that sort of thing it you know, at the highest level, maybe it gives us some, uh, some, you know, I guess, some hope. And uh, to see that sort of sportsmanship, I, I think it was very honourable.
1: In a sort of a, a macabre sort of way, we quite look forward to the crashes, which we, we probably probably shouldn't do. But uh, there was one involving um, a Kiwi uh, last night, and I'd like you to listen to this, Dale if you could, and then translate for us, please.
5: Là c'est dans les dans les voitures. ceux qui rentrent, mais dans le voiture quelle voiture? On est derrière le peloton. On derrière le peloton. On l'a vu venir. On l'a vu
10: venir terrible. Jack on au sol.
1: And that was the wow. uh, sound, Jack. It, yeah, that was Jack uh, being caught in between a UAE support car, UAE's team support car, and a media motorbike. Cart slowed down to miss another rider. Came off his bike, only for Jack to barrel into the back window of the car. What? I mean, you don't need that. <clears throat> you don't. You
9: absolutely don't need that. Like the. The UAE card stopped because the rider had crashed, so they had no choice to, you know, they had to stop. The, the press motorbike, the media motorbike, has no rights in, that, in, the, in the tour at all. So the, the, the police motorbikes have rights, the commissaires, the referee motorbikes, and the television motorbike. So this was a, a press motorbike, which would be a photographer or a journalist. So at all times, they're really not to pass or be involved in the race unless they've got permission from the, the referee to move, to move forward so they shouldn't have been there in the first place and I don't think we'll see them, that particular motorbike for the next three days on the tour Jack was super lucky like he just had nowhere to go, the motorbike shouldn't have been there and he would have got through that gap very easily Um, he was lucky he didn't go right through the back window of the car which I have seen before on the Tour to France And a very scary moment for for Kiwi fans he's had a sensational tour he's he's done so much work for his team and he's looked, looked great and if it had ended that way it would have been a disaster and You know, he got up and he gave gave the motorbike a bit of a a verbal, but I'm I'm surprised he didn't take a swing at him as well because you would have wanted to go and punch the guy that was driving for getting in his way and nearly ending his race that way. Um, Very, very scary moment and just shows the risks that these guys take and their protection is a piece of lycra. They don't have much.
1: No, they don't have much at all. Um, And to be fair, Dell it wasn't a a very lucky event either for uh, uh, the other Kiwi rider, uh, George Bennett, Uh, ranked 31st and then testing positive so and the signs were pretty good there
9: yeah he was looking great um he was riding really well he spent the whole year preparing for this and and covid's taken its toll on on a number of riders in the peloton but uae's team's been particularly hard with only four riders left in the race and it's certainly you know you need everybody in in the race to defend that yellow jersey and um for Teddy Magarza, he could have really done with the legs of George Bennett, who who was his number one climbing lieutenant, and it, it put so much more pressure on, you know Brendan McNulty in, in particular, and um, you know Rafael who's also out when he broke his chain and, and tore a muscle in his leg, and in, in that incident, it, it put so much more workload on those two riders. Um, it, it made it a lot more difficult for Teddy Magarza to probably plan the attacks uh, he would have liked with, without the support, and George will be devastated. Um, it, he just worked so hard to get into such great shape, and he—he he was looking, you know, it's probably some of the, the best I've seen him, in, 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 you know, or ever, yeah, in this tour. And it would have been really great to see him up there battling with the, you know, the four best riders in the bike race and seeing what he could have contributed. So, um, I guess the, the exciting thing going forward, it's going to be one hell of a race next year with, with you know, a number of real contenders. And I don't know if the old dog. Aunt Thomas, who currently sits in third, um, will be, be in the battle next year. But what a ride by him as well! It's going uh, to to get up there and and just show you know what he what he's capable of at at, at this stage of his career. Very very good performance.
1: Well, they've they've covered uh, they will end up covering about three thousand three hundred and thirty kilometres uh, with only two rest days. Dell um, along the way. Uh, I just wonder within the group how much how much is the mental side worked on within the group because look obviously they're in, in prime condition a lot of these guys they're, they're physically attuned to do the job but mentally uh, the mental side of it for me must be immense when having to deal with issues.
0: Yeah, it, it's it's
9: huge. It plays a massive part. Um, the confidence in, in the and your support crew, your, your teammates, and yourself. Um, you can go into the tour; it's a three-week event, so you can't go in and absolute peak form, because uh, you need the form for the third week of the bike race. It's always the, the hardest. This year was also a little bit different with the first rest day coming after only four days of the race. You know, usually you, you'll ride a, a, a week, seven days, have a rest day, weeks, you know, eight days, have another rest day, and then get into the last week. But you know, the rest day came really early in the race. The riders, as they get into that second week, they don't really enjoy the rest day. Unless they've got a little bit of an injury or, or something like that, gives them a chance to recover. But mentally, you've got to be so strong. You've got to be so tough. And, and that's what I, I've really liked about Teddy Pogacar. He's just been so up every day. You see the interviews. He's positive. He's always smiling. Um, you know, he, would, he must be a great team leader uh, to, to, to have guiding you because know, the guy just never seems to get down. Um, Mingogo uh, on the other hand, has is, is got the a, a strongest team around him, the best riders. He's lost a couple. You know, Primus up, who was probably you know, the other real favourite for the tour, um, but he, well, art rides like three men. The guy that's you know leading the green jersey competition. So that team, as a whole team, is, is amazingly positive. They just haven't put a foot wrong, and you know the confidence that that's. Um, installed and then to, to, to defend this yellow jersey has just been something special and, and something that, yeah you know, you're 100% right, the mental toughness and what it takes when you're being attacked left, right and centre where well, you know they're going to throw everything at you to, to have the mental toughness to cope and handle that pressure and just bide your time if you're having a bad moment, don't panic and yeah, it, it's it's brutal so the mental toughness, you know, any, any high level sport, and but you've got to be mentally tough to succeed but but over three weeks, it's, it's a whole different level, I,
1: I believe, for sure. So the last day of this tour coincides with uh, a bit of history in uh, the Tour de France as such, because it's the first edition, dell of the Tour de France Femme, in other words, uh, the women's uh, Tour de France. Um, Interest in there for New Zealand as well, but a historic day for the ladies.
9: It is, yeah. It's been a number of years since there's been a you know, our version of the Women's Tour de France. And I think this is a great thing for the sport going forward to have um, ASO organise the Tour de France, get behind it, support it as a race, start on the, the you know, the day the men's race finishes. Um, I, I think it's it's a great step forward and we're gonna see a you know a great battle in that race as well. We saw the, the, the Women's Giro d'Italia it was an excellent race and it, it, the racing their racing is really exciting to watch. They've got some real rock stars and you know, I'm I'm pretty sure in you know the next sort of three years if not you know well yeah between you know one and three one and five years i think we'll see neemfisher black um probably riding for the yellow jersey in that woman's tour she was a real sensation so yes yeah, exciting it's going to be a great race to watch as well um doesn't quite have the depth and the size of the field of, of the men's but this is uh, it's going to be a fantastic race and, and a really good battle um it finishes on a tough mountain climb as well so it's a Starts starts where the men's finishes, but at the finish of their race is up a brutal climb. So, um, yeah, you'd be able to tune in and I think see some really great racing in that as well, so
1: be. I look forward to it, Del. Uh, some late nights ahead uh, watching the cycling, a bit of uh, women's golf thrown in there as well. So, yep, uh, it's never ending and it's quality as well. Hey, thanks, uh, Del, for your time this morning and just uh, updating us on uh, the 109th edition of the Great Race. It's been uh, been great chatting to you. Thank you.
9: Yeah, pleasure.
1: Any time. Thanks very much. Yeah, cheers. Uh, Del Woodford there, of course, uh, noted uh, cycling commentator, cyclist himself, um, and uh, with his update there on the, it looks like it's uh, going to be twenty-five-year-old uh, Jonas Vingegaard from, uh, from Denmark. Uh, I look at his stats. He's five foot nine and he weighs sixty kilograms, um, ringing wet. I just wonder, uh, at the end of a race or an, a grueling stage like that, uh, if they do the weights, what he would weigh. Uh, in terms of how much he'd lose on those uh, very very tough ascents of uh, some of those uh, mountains uh, in France fascinating absolutely fascinating story books and books and books have been written about it uh, it is just one hell of a race. 1019 here on SENZ when we return it is panel time
4: The opinions the panel
10: talk, talk, talk to me yeah.
1: James Regan and Ross Carl, Ross Carl are our panel this morning. Uh, gentlemen, good morning to you both. Uh, Ross Carl, we're told that uh, the All Black team will be announced at 1.30 this afternoon and then a 2 o'clock press conference uh, where we hear, we'll be hearing from uh, Ian Foster, who we assume uh, keeps his job as the head coach. So uh, is that the way you're seeing it?
11: Yeah, that's what I understand. I understand Foster and Kane are safe, uh, despite what's being reported. Um, and, you know, there could be a mix up elsewhere.
1: Okay, so you're you're hearing Sam Kane will stay as captain as well, yeah?
11: Yeah, that's what I'm hearing. I spoke to a couple of people who have said the same thing. Uh, I think that report from the ODT might be a little bit off the mark.
1: Okay, so right. Let's uh, look at the the way it's unfolded this week. Uh, Ross, from your your point of view, um, uh, it hasn't been a good look, has it, really?
11: No, it hasn't played out very well. Um, Probably every mistake that could have been made has been made along the way. And, you know, they're under a lot of pressure, but you have to just front these things. There's no other way of doing it. You've got to have the hard conversations. And if you're not capable of having the hard conversations, how are you going to have them behind closed doors about the big issues around the team? You know, it it really is just about honesty and a good conversation. Um, And all of this would have just gone away. You know, own up to your mistakes. Talk about how you're going to fix them. Face the fact that you're under pressure and carry on. Um, and people will respect the fact you spoke and will respect the fact that you're trying your best even if you're not getting it right and then they'll respect the decision that's made about whether or not you stay
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, some of the, the texts we've had uh, come into the show and two or three of the calls we've had as well um, you know, people have um, just had enough I mean, people, some people are actually not even watching anymore which is absolutely the wrong thing from rugby's point of view uh, James Regan, good morning to you as well uh, How are you reading the situation? you Are hearing anything different?
9: Yeah, morning, Smithy. Morning, Roscoe. Um, nah, I think
1: what Ross said is pretty bang on. I don't know where that Kane and white
9: lock thing came from, but I guess that that is what can happen when you don't front foot it. As Ross said, it allows for speculation. It means you have to write opinion pieces as opposed to news and what comes out of the all camp. But that, that's what happens um, when you when you don't front it and you don't talk about it and you don't discuss it um, with media and with your fans as well that that's how it goes. Um, it's been a bit of a crazy week um, from that point of view and, and finally we'll get the chance to ask Ian Costa some questions and he'll get a chance to to discuss how the week's been and, and what they're going to do to try and fix things when they go to South Africa, which let's not forget they, they've got two really tough tests in South Africa and that that's going to be a huge Huge test for not just the players, obviously, but this coaching group as well.
1: So, and your and your thinking then, uh, James? There'll be no one will no one will cop it today. No one will lose their jobs today. No no assistants either. Or, uh, you think he's just been given uh, read the right act, and and uh, but he's going to keep faithful to all the troops.
9: Yeah, it sounds like it'll it'll be their last kind of last chance um, to to prove that they, they are going, going in the way. right direction. Um, obviously the speculation that Joe Schmidt might go over and, and play a bit of a bigger role. He wasn't, I don't think, originally meant to go to South Africa, but he might do now, so that'll be interesting to see. I mean, you've got him sitting right there, so it'd be it'd be crazy not to use someone like Joe Schmidt in a, in a bigger capacity. So, um, yeah, we'll see what happens this afternoon. We'll finally get some clarity, which I think is what everyone wants. More than anything, it's just a bit of a clear picture about how things are going to play out over the next month or so.
1: Uh, Ross Carl, it looks on another subject within rugby, it looks as if um, super rugby sides might be set for a Rugby World Club Championship at some point, beginning uh, around about uh, 2025. Uh, what, what kind of structure do you think this would have? What kind of window uh, have they allowed for it? Uh, and will it even happen?
11: It, it sounds like it's been driven very strongly by the European Pro Club Rugby uh, organisation that runs the Heineken Cup. And so, therefore, it'll be within a window of their competition. So I think that we'll be looking at kind of an April-May area if it does happen, although I'm reading that the English sides haven't signed anything. So we're still really early days right now. But So that'll be interesting to see what that does to Super Rugby. If it's April-May, we're right in the heart of the competition, aren't we? Um, So there'll have to be some conversations. It's already a very busy calendar. But we need something fresh. You know, fans want something fresh. And I think fans really enjoy the northern hemisphere, southern hemisphere. People were turning up to the pubs. They're watching on Sky. You know, it, that series for Ireland was, was very good as far as viewership was concerned. So but people want to see more of that. They want to see teams with different players. Um, they want to see New Zealand sides challenged. And the New Zealand sides look like they're going to be very lucky because the South African sides will be considered northern hemisphere sides because they play in northern competition. So the big benefit is out of the seven sides that have come out of Super Rugby by terms so will be New Zealand and Australia, and they'll get a really strong representation in comparison to all the other nations through Europe.
1: Yeah. It's interesting, actually. When you look at the European Championship this year, of course, it was won by Laura Rochelle, a bit of a surprise result over the top of, of Leinster. Uh, and then we, know, we, we take a look at Ireland and we take a look at France, and I think we find uh, that there is strength in club uh, rugby on, on that side of the world. So, yeah, uh, and as you say, uh, something new is uh, exactly uh, probably what's needed at this point. Uh, James Regan, Ross Carl with us at the the moment with the panel. Uh, We'll take uh, a quick news break, and then when we come back, uh, we might uh, talk uh, particularly to James about uh, what he saw at Five for Life last night. (laughs) We've got Ross Carl and James Regan with us this morning, folks, on the panel. And uh, James Regan, uh, you had uh, a little look last night at uh, Fight for Life. They lost uh, the, the, the number one fight with uh, Kevi Mialami pulling out, of course, uh, and he was fighting uh, Wanang and Korpur. But uh, what about the rest of the card? Did it, uh, did it entertain? Was it worth, worth the watch?
9: Yeah, I think it certainly was. First of all, it was it was good to see the event back, obviously, raising... Raising money for the I Am I Am Hope Foundation, which is great to see. Um, a, a big shame about that. Um, about the main fight getting pulled, and and hopefully Kevin is is all good, and we'll be back in the ring eventually. But I think what we what we saw, um, particularly the two pro bouts, with a couple of guys who were really really on the up, Jerome Pantalone and Andre um getting a couple of good wins. Mikhailovich, I think, probably a bit disappointed. When, with his performance, I think he cut his, his post-fight interview off and, and kind of left the ring. But make no mistake, he, he's a good boxer and he's, and he's entertaining outside of the ring as well. I interviewed him during the week and he was, he was pretty straight up and down and, and pretty entertaining to speak to. But Jerome Pantalone, um, it looks like and sounds like he's potentially in line for, for a shot at the world title as well against Jaya Pattaya. Both of those guys are represented by Dean Lonigan, who I think is keen to make that fight happen. So, really, really impressive performance from Jerome Pamphilon. He can throw, he can throw hands. Make no mistake about it. And he's definitely one to watch over the next few months and the rest of this year to see if he does get that world title fight. But if he doesn't this year, he's certainly not far away because he's a hell of a fighter. Um, I thought the women's fight as well. Honey, Honey me Smiler. She, if she wants to. Find time in her already busy said busy schedule, then she could she could have a go at boxing because she was be What
1: what about uh, Carlos?
9: Yeah, yeah, bit of a shame about that. One a great win for league, um, so I'm not going to moan about that. A great win for the uh, for the rugby league fraternity, but yeah, I'd, I'd say Carlos might be back. Like he, he wouldn't want to finish his boxing uh, stint on a loss. I'd say he's a pretty competitive guy. So I'd uh, I'd hope and and hopefully we'll see him back in the ring again because he's he's in phenomenal shape as well. I was I was pretty stunned at the way and when he took his shirt off and and revealed what he's got underneath. He was uh, he's, he's in really good shape.
1: I was reading where Liam Messam is actually got another fight this weekend. Is that right?
9: Is it? That, that would be pretty remarkable. He got, he got put through the ringer. Um, Liam Messam and Kevin as well, as long as he gets cleared, they want a shot at the New Zealand title. They want to have a go, a go in pro for a while a, and a bit of a second career, um, which is pretty lucrative. They can earn a lot of money if they get it right. Um, but if, I've, I haven't read that Liam uh, is getting back in the ring, but all, all power to him if he is, that would be, be pretty amazing.
1: I'm pretty sure that I read something this morning where it said that he was uh, going to get back in the ring as early as this Sunday night but I'll uh, check up on that because that would be crazy. Um, Lydia Ko, um, Ross Carl, Lydia Ko looking like, after uh, her first uh, round performance at the Evian Championship of course, which is another major for the women uh, she might be likely this time around Lydia. Yeah,
11: she's been very consistent. Especially saw she had that blowout at the end of the women's PGA but she's been so consistent over the last you know, a few months with you know top ten finishes, top twenty finishes. She's always there or thereabouts. So you feel like she's about due for another big one, isn't she? It's been a remarkable turnaround over the last couple of years for her. It's been really good to watch. The consistency is back, and you know she's obviously in a good place. And she is a great golfer to watch in and around the green. She's so good with the short game. Um, best luck to her.
1: The the other um, interest in golf for me, Ross, and it's not going away, is this this live uh, uh, tour the greg norman fronted tour which seems to be attracting um, more and more uh, high profile players uh, at some point there's going to be a breaking point here isn't there between the two i mean for instance they haven't even got a, a broadcast partner at, at this stage live i think they're doing it mostly on youtube
11: it's crazy 75 million dollar sign on bonuses for players who are you know Good players but not right at the top of the game anymore you know it's absolutely nuts where that money's coming from surely that can't last forever and you've got to wonder what the end game is here I mean, obviously greg norman's going hard and he's caused some controversy but it, it, it just doesn't seem i like tiger Woods. stand it doesn't seem like a good thing for the game just to be throwing money at people for the sake of having them play on your tour um and, and then reducing the number of rounds making it so you get paid no matter what. It, it just seems against what golf is all about. I I don't like it. Um, and I think that they, they can't do it forever. Surely those rich people who are funding it, no matter how much oil they've got, aren't gonna be just throwing hundreds of millions of dollars at players for no particular reason for decades on end. It can't continue, surely it's not sustainable. Uh,
1: well, unless they get, um, you know, some sort of partner involved in it, or unless they can their ultimate goal is to break into world golf, and this is the way they're doing it. In other words, they think that uh, perhaps you know uh, the, the powers that be will come together, and they, they can be the ones that instigated it. I'm not quite sure about that, um, but we'll wait and see what plays out there. But it's ugly. There's no doubt about it. It's breaking up friendships. It's breaking up relationships. It's breaking up sponsorships. It, it is uh, starting to hurt the world of golf, which uh, it used to be one of the ones that didn't have uh, that kind of thing happen. Uh, just to reaffirm uh, to you James Regan, I'm reading there that Liam Messam actually will fight Tussie Asafo who is 0-5 in Hamilton on July the 30th, there you go uh, so he is having a fight, not this weekend wow. uh, but in around, around about a week's time so yeah, there you go um, what, <laughs> That's crazy. What, what, yeah, what's, what's your take on, on the golf side of things uh, in, in terms of live golf, James?
9: Yeah, yeah. what Ross said is bang on the money. Like, like Something's got to give. Whether they um, find a broadcast partner that, that's prepared to put some money in as well, that, that'll that be the key, because they can't just keep throwing money at it, surely. And it'll be really interesting to see, if it all comes crumbling down, what the players do. Do they go back to the PGA Tour? Do they, you know, they'll, they'll have to go somewhere. So those players that have kind of, Led the charge and gone Let, let's not you know let's not uh, mess around they've gone for the money when that dries up and you know maybe this falls apart where are they going to go maybe the pga tour won't want them back so there's a lot on the line for these guys there's a lot on the line and and let's not forget where that money's come from it's not exactly um you know in the best position to be in when it uh when it falls apart so yeah it'll, it'll be really interesting to see what happens with that
1: but it can't go on the way it is, is it? No, uh, it can't because uh, whilst the game is big and it's global, it, uh, it's not that big, I don't think, when the, the, the big names and the big names who have finished playing are, are getting hit up and going head-to-head about it. Uh, <clears throat> not a good look. But, gentlemen, thank you very much. Uh, we wait with bated breath for the outcome this afternoon. There'll be uh, plenty of journalists, uh, yourselves included, who are taking a lot of interest here and uh, I imagine uh, when it comes to podcasts and things, Ross... Uh, It'll be a topic of conversation going forward. Thank you so much, uh, guys, for your time. Have a great uh, weekend, and uh, we shall see what we shall see shortly. Thank you. Well, for the last uh, five days you've been hearing here on uh, radio uh, all throughout the week about the All Blacks and uh, what's going to happen there or whether we're going to change a coach. And, of course, this afternoon all will be revealed. And the good news is we're going to be able to put a full stop on all those questions because we're going to be at the press conference and we're going to play it to you live uh, that will be at 2 o'clock. It's happening out at a hotel by the airport. Uh, of course, the team will come to the media for the South African series. Uh, that will come at about one thirty. So staff, uh, listen to the staff show this afternoon. He will be full of all the final details of what uh, we've been speculating on for the last five or six days. Uh, It would be great to end it, to be perfectly honest. Uh, So, uh, in in response to that too, a number of uh, texts have come in this morning. Uh, There's a couple of cycling ones as well. Smithy, I love the show. Nathan from Southland. Just to clarify, when you say the Kiwi rider, uh, George Bennett, tested positive, you're talking COVID. Absolutely right, Nathan. I'm talking about COVID, not testing positive to anything else. Right on the money there. Um, Hi, Smithy. The Tour de France is an amazing event of... uh, physical and mental stamina of the riders uh, to get that extra bit and win uh, the top riders on the juice. Uh, I hope not, says Anthony. I hope not, says Ian as well. Uh, I really do uh, I hope that is not the case. But of course, um, if there's anything under scrutiny, it will be that. And I imagine the testing processes in the, in the wake of what's happened in previous years will be pretty stringent at that. Um, Morning, Smithy. If they go ahead with the rumoured changes and we drop two or three tests in the Rugby Championship, which at this stage is likely... What happens? Interesting. What happens at that point? Uh, well, that would make us, by the time the Rugby Championship is over, that will be less than 12 months out from the World Cup. Is that too late then? Is it too late? Um, is, uh, are we going to hear today that Ian Foster's got a mandate to go again right through to the end of the World Cup? Is this the last of um, the rocket and rolling of the seats? We shall see. It might not, it might not be any changes at all. You know, to be honest, he might keep the whole deal. And as the, the boys said on the panel, even Sam Kane will keep the captaincy. You know, they're just saying this is all media speculation. and uh, Because of the fact we've heard nothing, um, there's been a licence to do that. Uh, read the All Blacks. Uh, I am by no means a rugby expert, but as soon as uh, Foster was named as head coach, I was prepared for the worst. Foster has proved my gut feeling correct. He is an extremely average coach. I don't watch as long as Foster is involved. I'm done. Uh, no name to that text but uh, a lot of passion surely uh, the media communications manager needs to be called to account the communication strategy out of nzr has been absolute shambles i understand looking after other people's well-being but to let an invested nation speculate and criticize and not to engage has been a shocker and that is from uh, Jono. um gary's come in and said uh, Paul Whatewera did a documentary on TVNZ called I Am a Mental Health Warrior. Haven't seen it. Um, if I can find it, I, I certainly will. Sounds like a really interesting bloke. Uh, and that's uh, from Gary. Thank you very much, Gary, for that. Um, what else have we got here? Uh, if uh, if they continue with Foster and we lose both tests to the, the box and then perform averagely against the Wallabies and the Pumas, then what? Um, As another review, another week of silence, a new coach with even less time to get the team right for the Rug World Cup, Foster will find his role untenable even more so than he does now. Imagine if we lose the Bledisloe, It's from Squid, Mm, imagine that, and imagine losing uh, that wonderful record on Eden Park as well. Uh, Hi Ian, keeping Foster will have me seriously looking at the Bledisloe Cup being under threat to go back to Australia. Uh, Then what trophies will we have left, knocked out in the quarters in the World Cup by Scotland? That's uh, from Marston. Thank you very much uh, for that. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of feeling, but as I said before, uh, those questions uh, will be answered very, very shortly. Um, 1.30, we'll hear the team for South Africa. Uh, At that point, of course, they'll name who the captain is when we hear that. So that'll answer one of the questions. Then at 2 o'clock, there'll be a why, wherefore, how come, whatever. Uh, with Ian Foster, and that will be live here on SENZ. Take a short break. When we come back, uh, we might just speak to Louis Herman. What a relatively busy weekend uh, of racing coming up, and the boys are on uh, a road trip. Uh, they are off to New Plymouth, and uh, there's racing um, uh, all over the place, actually, over the weekend, which means uh, we'll be talking to uh in uh, the last hour as well with uh, what's happening in the harness side of things as well.
10: The
2: loveracing.nz update. Your home for everything Thoroughbred Racing. Visit loveracing.nz, racing's biggest fan.
1: 10.55 here on SENZ. Time to catch up with Louis Herman Watt, who uh, is probably packing his suitcase now, or you might have already done that, because you're on a road trip to the NACI. Yes, I'm, I'm heading out to
12: the airport, just to see Foster Foster's going to declare his future, I guess. Um... So I'll probably cross paths with him. I'll see if I can tip him into the winner of the Open Aki Cup. Eh? That might cheer him up. I've got no idea what he's going to say. Um, I reckon that Sharrock is going to win the Open Aki Cup. Shock. What horse, though? Dunno. No, nah, I think I do. Darcy LaBella. I think she's the clear top pick here. Uh, just the weight. She's racing in such good form. I think she's the best weighted horse in the race. Um, when these mares get in form, as you've heard me say before, they get hard to stop and Lisa all presses the right jockey off. But just ask where he's going to be coming for her late. It's just can he wind up in time under that 60 kgs to catch her. And as we said all week, there are some nice lightweight chances. Your yeah, Helena babies, your oscillators, your Mount Beto's. There's bits of money here and there. But I do think it's all about the Sharik duo in the Opinaki Cup, Smithy. And um, Rotorua, they also have a half-decent race day tomorrow. And I quite like a couple there. One is short enough, Ero uh for... Lance O'Sullivan and Andrew Scott has not won a race this preparation yet, but it is a track specialist, three from three on the course, two from two on the distance. It's won five times in the heavy, run five seconds out of its 14 starts. I think 250 is probably fair enough, to be honest. Uh, And in race number uh, six, the Signy Lass gets up to the 1400, uh, just Found out over the 1,200 at Tarapa last start, but Tarapa can be a funny course sometimes. And uh, Ace Lawson Carroll, if he can get the horse out of trouble with his 4kg claim down to 53.5, number eight in race number six at Rotorua. Miss Lass, I think she can be back to her winning wave. Oh, actually, Smithy, before I go, one more for you. If you had a rough day at the pump or you want a bit of money, last at Ranwick, Sunrise Ruby for uh, Mitchell Beer. Um, I think Sunrise Ruby is a, a real nice horse, and she's going to the Kosciuszko, and I expect her to be winning at four eighty, a dollar uh, four fifty a dollar eighty tomorrow in the last round. week.
1: Okay, right, Louis. Uh, travel safely, and we'll uh, hear from you over the weekend here on SENZ. Uh, enjoy the necky and uh, stay away from those Sharricks boys because uh, they know how to socialise, I can promise you that. All right, uh, let's get across to uh, uh, Pip Morris. Uh, of course, uh, Pip, uh, always a pretty uh, busy weekend with the Greyhounds beginning today, doubleheader um, and Addington and Palmerston North. Yes, yeah, certainly, it's, Milly. good morning to
6: you. I'll be uh,
9: calling Palmerston North Greyhounds today with Rosso on leave, so... Really like a dog in race number six called Highview Susie. Made it my best uh, jumping off box seven at three dollars. Run her up last time. I thought she could go uh, one better. And as far as the Ospanaki Cup there at New Plymouth, the there's been a couple of bets. Two thousand on the top three market at two eighty and a thousand dollars for the win at eight fifty on Just
2: Ask Me, the local, and Darcy La Bella two seventy best backed, followed by Just Ask Me at eight fifty Smithy. And just quickly for the sports side of things. Warriors best-backed
9: as he per usual against the Raiders with 68% of bets head-to-head on them to try and grab another win.
1: Absolutely amazing how we continue to put ourselves through the pain. Have a great weekend yourself. Good luck with the calling out of PN this afternoon and all the best for you. We've got Dylan Boucher coming to our show after the break. Of course, Dylan Boucher is the CEO of New Zealand Basketball and our Tall Blacks are going pretty good. In the Asia Cup, I think it's fair to say got the Aussies next, though. That'll be a tough one to crack.
7: From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ.
2: New Zealand be content to let some time go. No, he's going to go
0: in. he does it! Goodness me! What has Glenn Cameron not done at this FIBA Asia Cup? This... You're thinking he might hold it, and he just decides he's going to take it to the big house. Look at this. Why play sensible when you can throw a poster out? Jeez. He even gets hit in the head.
1: Yeah, some of the uh, amazingly good action from uh, the New Zealand Tall Ferns. That was Flynn Cameron in action last night. Uh, they pulling off a hard fought 88 78 win over a very powerful Korean side to advance through to the semi finals, where they will now face uh, rivals Australia. Australia beating, uh, getting it done against Japan. That clash will be on Saturday. Flynn Cameron uh, starring there as you heard, led the way with 22 points, 14 of which came in a dominant fourth quarter to seal the deal for our side. Flynn was supported by Taki Funnison on 16 points with Tohi Smith-Milner getting 14. Joining us now uh, this morning to uh, talk about that performance and the progress uh, of our side in the Asia Cup is the CEO of New Zealand Basketball Dylan Boucher, good morning to you
13: how
1: are you mate? I'm good mate, I, I guess you're pretty happy you're not the CEO of New Zealand Rugby at the moment.
13: <laughs> I'll tell you what, the smile on my face, I'm not sure if uh, he's, he's got the same smile but certainly um, you know, uh, feeling a little bit weary after staying up and watching that game last night though, i tell you what.
1: Well it was worth the wait, that was an impressive performance.
13: Oh it was absolutely, I mean we went in as probably not as favourites into that game and you know, Korean side have, um, they beat us at the last Asia Cup um, twice. And, you know, we've taken a, um, a, a really young team over. And you're seeing the likes of Flynn Cameron, who we just had on those highlights, are really stepped up in this game. And we've had, you know, multiple great performances from young guys, which is really showing the depth in the, in the Tall Black program.
1: Okay, let's uh, talk about some of those individuals uh, Flynn Cameron, Tohi uh, Smith Milner. Uh, Sam uh, Toye Smith-Muller is actually, as you say, uh, it's an experienced lineup. He's the most experienced, I think, with about forty-four caps. And the next to him is is Sam Timmins. So this is this is wonderful for the growth and development.
13: Oh, I mean, it was our hand was kind of forced a little bit due to availability, but the good news was it's allowed us to be able to really, you know, chuck these guys right into the into the um, fire and and really see how they how they perform. And you know, like the, the names you just mentioned, have all performed so well at this tournament and you know there's a lot of guys who are getting some valuable experience which will be you know it'll make um you know Piero Cameron's job a lot tougher to be able to select that world cup team when it comes down to it so it's 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 giving some really good problems for the selectors to be able to uh make those decisions later on um uh, next year
1: so who are the players that were uh, not available to us that come straight back into the reckoning there holding the line He's there, Dylan, sorry about that. Uh we're just going through the guys that um we got, weren't available to us when, when your line cut out and you're saying up to about fifteen players.
13: Yeah, sorry, Smithy. Um I'm going through uh on the road between Napier and Palmerston North, so I must have had a dead spot. But um yeah, no, about fifteen guys I reckon um that will be in contention uh for uh, for the twelve spots for the World Cup, including these guys playing. So there's a there's a good depth there and there's you know, you're seeing like I say, the young guys that have really put their hand up and gone, well, now, you know, Perez and his coaches have got those, you know, selection dilemmas of going, do you, do you go with, you know, what you've had before, or do you blood these new guys into the team in, in these big campaigns?
1: Okay, let's uh, look at uh, Australia at the weekend, of course, uh, the old foe, uh, third ranked in the FIBA rankings at the moment, we're 27th. What is the strength of their side uh, in terms of availability, and, and what are our chances here?
13: Yeah, they're um, they're a really tough side. They've got a very very strong team. Not their strongest team. Um, they haven't. They've only got um, one player. Or one player they've got that has played in the NBA, um, and um, he's playing for them. Um, but he's not currently in the NBA. But they don't have any of the NBA talent. But they all of their team are uh, top top players. Obviously, play in the Australian National Basketball League or in, in um, you know, Asia leagues as well. So they're they're a, they're a tough customer. They will probably be. Um, the favourites of the tournament, so this is a very big game coming up in the semi-final.
1: i just got to ask you, because uh, everyone asks me, um, why doesn't Steven Adams uh, ever play? I mean, uh, particularly we see him at home at the moment um, on Facebook and, and doing the, the doing the rounds, uh, and this would have been a window, I guess, for him, but uh, again, not available. Will he ever be, mate, you think? Yeah, I hope
13: so. I mean, you know, I'm a, I'm a fan of Steven and, and, you know, have a good relationship with him and, you know, hope, hopefully you can catch up with him while he's, while he's here, but you know, he's what I what I think people don't understand, um, in, in New Zealand is, is how grueling the NBA schedule is on, on your body. And you know, these guys play 82 games a year plus playoffs, and you know, the, the a big when you're lung, lumbering around a seven foot body around. That's pretty tough to do. So adding stuff on top of that's always going to be tough. Of course, you know we would love to see him in a tall black uniform, but the timing has to be right for him and. You know, we have to make sure that we've, you know, we've all, we'll always leave that door open uh, because, you know, having someone of his caliber coming into the team would be a would be a massive coup. It
1: certainly would. Uh, and talk about caliber of person. Uh, and Pero Cameron um, he's brought experience and mana to uh, the Tall Blacks as a player. Of course, he's uh, I think he's been around about eleven years in, in the various coaching aspects of the side. So, um, just terrific asset.
13: Oh, huge, and, and he's been great, and you know, just. It's it's I'm really proud of seeing him, you know, get these achievements with this young side, and, and you know his son being one of the, the key players on it. And I know, you know, he's the sort of guy who's super tough on us, you know, like his his son hundred percent deserves to be there and showing why he deserves to be there um, by his production. But it's always tough when you're, you're picking your own son on a team, and I know you go through those dilemmas as a coach. And one thing I said to him is pick pick your best team. Don't pick on you know whether one's your son or one's not. So. I'm really proud that he's gone ahead and his son's proving that he, you know, he's more than capable of performing on the world stage and you know, he's, he's done a great job with these young guys and he's got a great coaching staff with him as well and you know, I think we're, again we've got just showing that you know, we've got some real talent in that space
1: We're seeing a lot of talent at home too uh, Dylan because of course uh, the sales NBL is uh, well underway uh, as is uh, Towi here as well for the women's side of things so uh, the pathways are becoming more and more apparent
13: yeah, I mean, we're, we're really, really stoked with how the NBL and the sales NBL and the JJ gardner here going. It's, it's, the leagues are just going from strength to strength, and we're seeing more and more, again, young talent coming through these leagues and being able to perform and, and um, you know, giving, our, giving our selectors some really good dilemmas.
1: You have got uh, a, a sport that is, uh, you're governing a sport which is growing uh, by the day. We're told the numbers are going through the roof. Uh, which means you, you've got to look very carefully at uh, the youth side of things, and you've been doing that at the uh, under-15 nationals, I understand. Uh, what is the strength like and the depth like there?
13: Yeah, I'll tell you what, I want to encourage anyone to go along to these national tournaments and see the size of these kids. I mean, there's under-15 kids that I'm looking up to, and I, and I'm a, I consider myself a pretty tall guy. Um, but, you know, we've got some size coming through now. We've got some, some skills that, you know, these kids are highly skilled compared to, You know, 10, 15 years ago, the the kids are training so hard now for their sports and their skill level and and athleticism is is definitely higher than it's ever been. Um, It's about us really harnessing that now and and really being able to um, take that to the next level but also to continue that growth of that community level so we've got more and more kids coming through at that age group because, as we know, at a young age group like under-15s and under-17s, there's still a lot of growth and a lot of players, so um, it's really important that we keep them all coming along that journey.
1: How are you managing to keep up with the growth uh, Dylan? Because I imagine the schools are a big part of it because at this age group level of course they're all still there but uh, how are you managing you know to provide the opportunities and keep up with you know the speed of growth
13: yeah, that's the constant challenge, Smithy, to be honest, and you know we can't keep up for venues either you know we're we've got capacity at just about every venue we're at across new Zealand. and there's no there's no gym space, and that's the hardest part so you know, part of our part of our growth strategy is to be able to put these hoops in schools um, outside and, and hoops in parks where, you know, kids can get access to a hoop if they want to go and shoot shoot a basket. And you know, that's that's the challenge right now is, is venues. Um, but for us, and as far as development, we do we rely heavily on on schools, on associations, on development programs. Um, you know, we it's really the the numbers are really the groundswell is huge.
1: OK, so, and that's going to be added to uh, with the hybrid form of it. Of course, that's the three-on-three basketball, which is about to make its debut at the Commonwealth Games in Birmingham after previously uh, debuting, of course, at the Tokyo Olympics. Uh, just for those people uh, uh, listening that uh, have not really got too much experience watching it, when they watch it in the Commonwealth Games, what are the key differences that we should look at?
13: Yeah, it's a, it's a different level of physicality, Smithy. It's, um, you know, the, the referees let a little bit more go and, so, and you know, the, your normal layups or your dunks are only worth one point, and your traditional three pointers are worth two points. So, how it's how it's different is obviously you double your points by shooting it from the perimeter. Um, so you're seeing a it's a really fast game, a lot of two point attempts, which is your traditional three pointers. So most of the guys there are, are really good, accurate uh, shooters, but also the, you've got to have a good physical presence defensively as well to be able to stop guys. And because the referees. Literally it feels like sometimes they just put the whistles away so it's a, it's a, it's a real physical sport and, um, and, that, and to be honest that, that plays into our favour I mean we're a nation that grow up playing rugby so we don't mind the physicality and it's something we don't shy away from and both our Tall Ferns and, and Tall Black 3x3 teams are uh, very strong teams that we're taking away to the Commonwealth Games and we, we just hope they're going to go over there and, and do us proud which they have in every tournament so far this year.
1: Medal chances do you believe?
13: Yeah, 100%. I mean, we, um, good old New Zealand fighting spirit, we go we go to these things to win medals, and uh, that's certainly uh, uh, certainly a goal for these guys is to, is to come away and have a podium finish.
1: Do you see it uh, getting a really firm foothold now? I mean, you can't get much bigger than the Olympics, I guess, the Commonwealth Games, so you, you really see there's uh, there's an, a strong avenue for, for this hybrid form?
13: Oh, 100%. I think, um, you know, and I'd encourage people to get out and, um, or turn their TVs on to watch, you know, these guys in Birmingham. This 3x3 is so fast, it's so entertaining, and it's it's basically first to 21 points or 10 minutes, you know, like the game's over before you can blink. It's almost the, you know, I think the popularity of sevens in rugby, I think the 3x3 is going to be very, very similar because it has that party atmosphere with music playing, and, you know, it is a, it is a great, fun, spectacle event.
1: Does it threaten uh, f- uh, the five-on-five uh, traditional form, though? I mean, with the NBA, of course, uh, and the coverage it's getting here at home. Um, it, it, does it? Is it a threat to it? Do you believe? Like, you know, like, I don't look think at it's T20 a cricket. I look at T20 cricket to to Test cricket and that sort of respect. You know. Yeah, I think. I
13: mean, I don't think personally. Don't think it's a threat. Um, not for any time in, in our lifetime. Um, but. You know, the younger generation are you know, they are engaging in that, you know, that different kind of content and fast and instant and you know, that's what three X three gives you. It gives you all the things that our young people want in their lives right now. So, you know, not to say that it won't won't phase it out, but I, I can't see it right now. I still think the traditional game will still hold very strong, especially while the NBA is still around.
1: Cool, mate. Thanks very much, uh for an update on that. Really uh, fascinated and, and thrilled to hear that. the the game's just growing uh, throughout all the levels uh, on a daily basis um, and the challenges to to keep up with it It must be a healthy thing to be involved in Uh, cheers Dylan, drive safely and uh, we shall uh, catch up with you in due course
13: Thanks Smitty, appreciate your time.
1: Yeah cheers Dylan Boucher there, CEO of New Zealand Basketball, boy what a great uh, outfit they are and what a great job they're doing and what a great sport they have got to administer, it is in such a healthy situation uh, we shall be doing a, a stumped, of uh, course, at uh, 11.30, but before that, we're going to delve again once again because it's Friday into the Greyhound racing industry. 11.22 here on SENZ, and every Friday we uh, go a little bit deeper into the Greyhound racing uh, industry and talk to uh, a number of their personalities, and I'm very pleased to say this week uh, we're talking to uh, Peter Henley, uh, a trainer out of uh, Waikato. Peter, good morning to you.
14: Yeah, good morning, Ian.
1: Nice to talk to you, uh, Peter. You've uh, been in the, the industry. In fact, you've had a great family connection for quite some time. Tell us about your history in it.
14: Oh, started a long time ago, Ian. Uh, I moved from Westport, where I was uh, into racing pigeons, and moved over to Oxford in Canterbury. And uh, the next-door neighbour was one of the leading greyhound uh, trainers in Canterbury. His name was Jock Walsh. And um, wasn't too long, and uh, my kids were, would be running backwards and forwards we were next door neighbours and playing with pups and all of this thing, you know, in the early 1970s. Um, and um, there was always one pup would follow them home and stay with the kids. And uh, old Jock said, "Oh, you should get a get a greyhound, mate," he said. And I said, "Well." If we can have that one, we'll be into it. So uh, we went into, uh, the, in, in those days, they were racing at Marshlands Domain and um, Little Track. And uh, it was the first time I'd, I'd seen greyhound racing and uh, I was quite taken by the intelligence of a lot of the dogs. So uh, anyway, we took bought the dog and... Um, I'd had a little bit to do with race race horses on the coast sort of thing, so uh it was pretty much the same way of training you know getting them fit and that sort of thing and uh yeah, so we called this dog rise and shine and um she was from a, a very well bred family and um yeah so that was that was the start of it for for us and uh she she won the new zealand Sprint Championship down there at uh, QE2 in those days uh, in 1975 and uh, that, was, that was it for us we were, we were hooked into it for the next 50 years
10: <laughs> so,
14: 50 uh, years mate
1: yeah. uh, uh, there's been a few years. changes no doubt there's been a few changes you've, you've witnessed Peter over those 50 years I'm sure uh, but he's strong now racing most days
14: Yeah, no, it's, uh, they've gone a long, long, long way, you know, welfare-wise. I can remember at Marshlands there, bloody hurdle races, and, you know, they were were just jumping over wooden hurdles, and if their legs weren't high enough, you knew what happened, sort of thing. But, uh, yeah, no, um, yeah, in those days in Oxford, we used to trek up to Palmerston North. I had quite a few mates on the uh, on the boats and uh, we'd go from uh, Littleton to, to Wellington, hire a van and trek up to Palmerston North there, you know, a couple of times a month. Um, yeah, I always remember one time we'd finished a bit early at the Palmerston North track and which was opposite the Pony Tavern and we, we went in there for a couple of drinks and one patron come into the hotel he said Christ who owns those dogs out there there's a hell of a fight going on and I went out there and one of the bloody dogs had jumped into the front and got into the chilli bin
6: <laughs> 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 <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh mate great, great history
1: Peter, yeah. Peter when I talk to a lot of uh, greyhound people a lot of it's family based and that's been the case with you You know, everyone sort of buys into it yeah
14: you're right there, Ian. You're right there and right up, you know, to today. You know, I've seen, you know, the generation behind me and then the generation behind them, you know, all, as you say, family-orientated, um, getting into it, you know, like the, the Craig girls up there and Farrell's there, grandkids are into it and their children are into it and uh, Wayne and Tracy Steele. Their children there into it, so uh yeah, it's 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 ticking along pretty good. Um um, you know. I mean it's a bloody billion dollar industry as you know now, so it's it's going
1: well. It's, it's, yeah, it's it's bigger right now, but um but uh, everyone uh, in their time and what they do at some point it comes to an end, and uh, we 're led to believe that the thirty first of July being the end of the racing season, uh, just coming up uh, peter is uh, that 's it for you, and you 're changing direction back to the pigeons yeah
14: yes, i am mate uh, i've uh, i've been in the pigeons uh, for the last five years, you know mainly not racing but showing them and uh the first couple of seasons we had a bloody virus in the in the pigeon world, so no showing. And then the year after that we had COVID, so no showing. But um, I was lucky enough. A fortnight ago I went. They had the national poultry and pigeon show in Levin, and uh, I was lucky enough to to win best pigeon and show and reserve best pigeon. So I was a bit chuffed about that. So yeah. <coughs> Yeah, so but a- yeah, going back again, yeah, fifty years it's has uh, been a bloody long time and uh, you know, just a change in direction, you know, puts a different bloody spring in your step, sort of thing. But uh, yeah, I've had a lot of success in dogs, you know, with my late wife, Lois, who passed away ten years ago. We've uh, we've done pretty well. You know, we've had some bloody handy dogs in that time and also uh, contributed to the administration. Lois was on the Greyhound board for a long time there, and yeah. secretary at uh, Waikato when I was president there. And uh, no, it's it's been a good uh, a good path that we 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 took sort of thing. Made a lot of friends there, and always always used to uh, like to help out the young people. You know, we spent about ten years in Aussie there. in in Sydney and um, learned a lot about you know checking dogs and all of this sort of thing which I've passed on to a, a few young people over here namely Alan Christensen you know I've spent a bit of time with Alan and he's he's going along in the right direction I think
1: well, all I can say is, Peter, uh, it's been great catching up with you. I, I salute you. Fifty years um, in the industry is an amazing achievement for you, and uh, of course, uh, your late wife Lois, Carolyn uh, taking yeah. over as well, heavily involved in the sport. We wish you uh, all the best in your new change of directions uh, uh, in terms of the pigeons. And uh, hey, thanks very much for for the the chat. It's been very enlightening. Thank you. Yeah,
14: that's the only too pleased Ian to talk to you, mate.
1: Cheers, Cheers. Uh, Peter Henley. There, folks. Um, retiring uh, out of the greyhound industry on the 31st of this month the end of the racing season after 50 marvelous years within it uh, one of the real characters one of the reasons why uh, greyhound racing is as strong as it is it is 11 30 here on SENZ um, and uh, I'm pleased to say we shall be giving you the opportunity to win 50 bucks from the TAB uh, by dialing 0800 150811. Asking, uh, answering some very, very simple questions, and if you dial up now, Niv is uh, on the—he's uh, on the end of the line. Uh, he'll be lining you up in uh, the, the right order to take part. Uh, in the meantime, though, uh, it's time for an 11:30 update with Araha.
14: Ian Smiths had a good match here.
4: Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job.
10: Top class and it's a big Friday, Smithy, ECNZ, morning stumps, grab grab your bats, pat up everyone, because you got a $50 TAB bonus bet on the line, Smithy, we know how the game works, we know how it's done, let's get straight into it, uh, first at the crease we have Richie from Upper Heart, come in mate. G'day. How you feeling, how are you feeling, Smithy, big Friday, are we going to get it to 100 for Monday?
1: I'd like to get it to man. Uh, I'd like to get it to hundred if, if I possibly can build up a good pot. But uh, I've got a feeling Richie. I think Richie knocked us over in the past. So, um, but worried about Richie
10: first up. What are the subjects today? Subjects for you today. We've got boxing, bit of rugby league, and the Wellington Phoenix. Take a pick, Richie.
11: Oh, might have to go bit of the rugby
10: league. Bit of rugby league. All right. Here we go. Good luck to you both. say this every time. If I put rugby league on the board, nine times out of ten it gets picked. Big fans of great game here at this station. Here we are. Okay, first question for you, Richie. What's the name of the Queensland Cup side where Dejan Arcee and Ronald Vogman helped them smash the defending Premier's Norse 54-16 last weekend?
1: Oh, I saw this, too. Bloody hell, you should read the stories I saw this. Yeah. Um, I did too. What a do, Richie. <laughs> yeah. oh.
5: I have to go yeah. read plus
4: That's a couple of chips down the wicket, right
10: in the slot, and the it goes. Oh, what a fluke. What a fluke. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you admitted it, mate. All right, Smithy, would you have had that one? No, I wouldn't have. I recall
1: reading the article because I, I read it prior to talking to Vossi during the week. Uh, And then
10: completely forgot it. So I wouldn't have got that, Richie. Well done. (laughs) Good on you, mate. Second question. Cooper Johns, son of Maddie, has played one game of first grade for the Melbourne Storm this season at halfback. My question is, what round did he face the Penrith Panthers?
11: Oh, God. What round? Uh, Go round... One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field.
10: Richie, loud in my
1: ears there. Smithy, over to you. Nah, this is like a, it's like a chalk raffle. Really pick a number for me. Um, <laughs> I'll tell you. Uh, I'll say round 11. Legs 11. Just for the hell of it.
11: One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field.
10: Agonizingly close there, Smithy. Round 10, they lost 32-6 to the Panthers there. <laughs> Shock horror, they I lost. lost. I knew that. <laughs> yeah. All good. Richie, that does mean you're still alive. Last question. And this one is about one of our very own. Tony Kemp played 87 games for the Newcastle Knights between 1988 and 1993. He scored 20 tries in that period. But I want to know, how many field goals did he kick? Oh, God. <sighs> I'm hoping... Uh, I really hope... Uncle, if you're listening, mate, I want an answer from you too.
5: Phil, goals for the night. Yeah. Ah, uh, eeny, meeny, miny, moe.
11: My. Wargo, loves to run it. Never kicked it. Zero. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field.
10: I promise you it's not a trick question. Smithy. OK, well, here's the thing. Um... Kempe
1: uh, played like it was just post Second World War really when he played so they didn't have golden point and all that sort of thing back and then uh, so the, the need to kick them an extra time uh, I would imagine wasn't there at that point uh, I would say Kempe in that uh, long period of time that
10: he played for them might have kicked three, three One of the goals. worst
11: things I have ever oh, seen yeah. Done on
10: a cricket field. Ah, oh, Smithy, when, when you when you go on that kind of line of thinking, there, I'm always thinking, "Oh, he's got this. He's got this." The correct answer is one in his first season with the Newcastle Knights back in 1988. Uh, so, Richie, it does mean you are a winner to end our week here on SNZ Mornings. Congrats, mate.
1: Thank you. Lucky.
10: Yeah, lucky. You're lucky, Richie. But yep. uh,
1: turn that 50, turn that fifty bucks into plenty more over the weekend, mate. Thanks very much for taking part. Uh, and stay on the line, and Niv will get your details so we can get that money to you as soon as we possibly can. Well done, mate. Have a great weekend. OK, Richie's gone, so, um, yeah, i just say, uh, Kempi, one. One out of how many? That's what I like to know. So when you catch up with him, one out of how many? I mean, was he 100% man? Did he only have one crack at it? Or did he have 10 goes at it and get one out of 10? That's what I'd like to know to be perfectly honest it is 11:38 here we're going to be talking to uh, michael gerham very shortly about uh, harness racing tonight and over the rest of the weekend uh, and i've uh, got two or three really great texts that i want to read out in the meantime as well so we'll take a short break come back and do that And it is uh, 11.44 here on SENZ, always this this time on Friday. We love to get a harness racing update about what's happening tonight and uh, over the weekend uh, to either Greg O'Connor or Michael Guerin. This morning it's Michael Guerin back uh, in the seat. Uh, um, And uh, it's all about Addington this weekend, mate. I see tonight and Sunday.
7: Yeah, hey, Smithy. It is, mate. Um, Good morning to you. Good morning to your listeners. Yeah, Addington race tonight, that being Friday night, and then they race Sunday for their afternoon meeting, for people who wonder how they split those, um, Sunday afternoon tends to be the the lesser, more industry type day. Usually gets quite big fields, so therefore there's good betting. Friday nights where the better horses turn up. Um, winter is pretty much the off season for harness racing, so tonight doesn't have too many stars. But there is a great story tonight, Smithy. Horse called Inheim races tonight. Now Inheim was the champion three year old of his year, won two derbies won the duels, he's a horse who was absolute top class ran second at the top level was a four year old then got a slight injury now not an injury that hurts a horse it just means it can't run that fast so it's spent three years three years away from racing, now that's about as big a break as any horse ever has usually if they're out of race, they're racing for that long they don't race again, it, it's probably like at all but not playing rugby of any sort Club rugby anything for three years and then coming back. It's incredibly rare. He races tonight, but when that happens, even if I've been trialing well, there tends to be that residual belly fat, you know, and you haven't been exercising at that absolute elite level and testing yourself. So rare to see a horse of his class because he's a good horse back in the middle of winter. He's the story of the night. I'm not backing him. I'm actually backing a horse to beat him tonight. A horse called Resolve, who's in the same race, because he gets a 30-metre start, and he's a lot fitter. But the story of the night is in High at Addington, and to see whether after three years, physically he's still there, and whether his ambition levels are there. So then we race again Sunday, Smithy, this afternoon when he kicks off about 1 o'clock in the afternoon. We'll preview that on Trot's Talk on SCNZ. That's at 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. And over in Australia, we have a lot of New Zealand-owned horses at their big Queensland carnival. They have a huge carnival there in winter, their biggest one of the year, with races up to $350,000. So lots of New Zealand-bred horses there, no New Zealand-trained horses, but plenty of horses with New Zealand ownership in Queensland. Uh, And just for those who follow the Gallops, tomorrow we have a special mail run. Coming at 8 o'clock in the morning, um, I'll be hosting tomorrow. Louis is on the road. He'll be joining the show, but he'll be on the road. He's down there at New Plymouth for the Okanaki Cup. So we're sending the team to New Plymouth, so we're going to have people on track talking to the local trainers and the local administrators from 8 o'clock tomorrow morning. Then the Good Oil Punters Club, which anybody can enter for free, is going to have Mark Clayton, Louis, and Stephen McKee the former trainer of Champion Sunline, those boys are going to get $1,000 and we're going to have 20 shares from our listeners. You can just join down in the morning between 8 and 10 by listening to the show and they'll be punting at the track in New Plymouth for Open Aging Cup Day. So SCNZ heading to the regions for a bit of fun with an outside broadcast tomorrow all day coming in racing on your station tomorrow from 8 o'clock in the morning.
1: Good on you, Michael. Thank you very much uh, for all that information. Look forward to that sentimental uh, comeback tonight. Uh, that'll be fascinating. I'll keep an eye on that. Uh, and uh, have a great weekend yourself. Sounds like you're going to be very busy. Thank you.
7: Well, I think you'll be this afternoon too, Smithy, when the All Blacks announcement comes out. So you enjoy yourself, too,
1: brother. <laughs> yeah, I think so. There'll be uh, there'll be a few. Uh, I think Amber Liquids sunk around the country uh, at some point tonight, discussing that, uh, Michael. You have a, uh, a fine weekend, sir. Yep, Michael Guerin uh, in there um, at 11:48. Uh, uh, there's some text I like to read out as well. Um, Jerry has come in and said, "Smithy, go back in time to 1986. It was the last time the All Blacks lost a series at home. Uh, then got smashed by France on the end of year tour. Uh, that was uh, the famous Wayne Shelfer testicles test match. Uh, major changes were made, and we won the 1987 World Cup. By the way, not enough credit given to the Irish for mine. Cheers, go well. Uh, love the show, Jerry." Uh, you are right on a number of uh, categories there. Um, yes, it, it was a very quick turnaround in terms of success. And yes, we did win the World Cup in 1987. Uh, and yes, absolutely, uh, the Irish have been lost in a lot of this this week. The Irish were fantastic. They were absolutely fantastic. They'd have beaten, on that uh, showing, beaten most sides in the world at home or away uh, on the strength that they possess. And there's uh, n- there's no absolute uh, accident that they're the number one ranked rugby team in the world jerry and and uh, i think right at the end of this week that's a nice timely reminder to uh, all of us thank you for that uh, smithy is the tall blacks uh, big man sam timmons the prodigy progeny sorry of of uh, former highlanders lock brendan yes he is we had sam on the show at the uh, just before the start of the sales nbl this year of course he's playing uh, for our senz uh, team represented team down there the uh, otago nuggets uh, so we spoke to Sam, yep, and uh, he, uh, at school level, decided he'd go the basketball way instead of uh, following the old man into rugby. If so, uh, how, could, how could we, if we had him in the all-black line-out? Well, yeah, we certainly need something in uh, the all-black line-out. We'll find about that uh, this afternoon. Uh, don't forget that one thirty Staff will have the team for you, and then at 2 o'clock, we're going to do the press conference as well, all through Staffy's show. So it'll be a really strong rugby show this afternoon, and the reason why is quite obvious. Um, Terry has also said, Morning, Smithy, the turmoil that the ABs are in bears similarity to the 1992 season under Laurie Maines. Laurie alienated a lot of the country with his selections and his vocal feelings about previous coaches and their selections. Things were so bad it led to the crowd at Athletic Park booing Foxy when he took the ground uh, for the ABs against the World 15. Laurie then took the ABs to Eden Park and lost to the French, and the local crowd were actually cheering for the French. Maines was given another chance, and he ended up taking the All Blacks to the Rugby World Cup in 1995. The rest, of course, is history. Love your show. Uh, thank you very much. We'll be with Staffie very shortly. <laughs> 11.55 here on SENZ. Just a couple of uh, texts before we join up with Staffy. Uh The nation has lost patience with Foster and the coaching group. We blamed the loss to Argentina on covid We blame the end of year tour to a long season. We blame the loss to Ireland to a better team, by the way, at the end of a longer season. There are no more excuses beyond not getting the best out of the talent we have. I hope the coaching unit have performance clauses in their contracts and then the payout might not be so much. That's from uh, John O. And here's one, uh, Steph, that uh, I really uh, have to read out. Uh, It's a a terrific test um, and uh, it's quite involved. So it's it's worth the read. Uh, and it it just uh, may be an indication of where uh, a lot of people are feeling. Uh, Morning Ian, sad to say New Zealand rugby is in its death throes. I've noticed over the years opposition teams are bigger, faster and smarter. Back in the day, the all-black teams were always smaller, but they were made up uh, for that because they were hard buggers, were the sort of people that our soldiers were famous for, hard, uncompromising and real-world smarts. All our players come straight from school to academies where agents, coaches and administrators blow smoke up their bums. Then they go to rep footy, no live schools, gym hard, probably couldn't do a real day's work. My daughter used to date a player who was bought by King's School from Taranaki. Absolutely lovely young man, but pathologic, pathologically lazy. I thought, you're never going to go past provincial rugby, but he thinks he's going to make a living out of rugby. He won't. New Zealand rugby is awash with these people because our population, we tend to think the, big, the biggest players, whereas the overseas, uh, because of their player base, pick it the smartest big player. We have a system that doesn't care about club, provincial and even super rugby, according to Foster's comments. So we have brand all black, bugger everything else, chickens coming home to roost me, thanks. Sorry Ian, I can't see anything improving uh, when you've forgotten the fundamentals. Now we are more worried about how we look Back in the day, the haka was pathetic, the rugby ferocious. Now the haka is ferocious and the rugby flaccid. That is from big fan Joe Batless. Steph, what do you make of that? And uh, oh. uh, on the on the on minutes out before a very big show for you this afternoon with a lot of highlights coming up, uh, that's a hell of a text.
15: That is, that encapsulates so much, Smithy. And I think it's like... I'm trying to surmise what what our listeners have been saying, you know yours and mine, the whole station's listeners and it's, it's the whole focus for too long has been at the very pinnacle, which is the All Black brand. Um, we've lost South Africa, Australia have no issue kicking us to the touch they got, they got they've got their Silver Lakers Andrew Forrest, which is a man which is passionate about the game of rugby, Silver, Silver Lake passionate about rugby. Um, we need gosh, is it too late? I'm lost for words but there are so so many issues and still it looks like the rugby union are only concerned about the All Blacks and um, it's mm, got it, to change. Yeah.
1: Well this afternoon staff your show will be a big factor in uh, unfolding what's happening. Uh, we believe we at the team around one thirty, and then the press conference yeah?
15: Yeah we're um, sending Jakey down to uh, the press conference. he will have the SENZ microphone so it's not a press conference as such. It's stand up interview so it's 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 Potentially not going to be broadcast amazing quality, but we want to hear it first. We want to hear it here live, so we're sending down Jakey with his microphone uh, piping into us through through a Tile Line app on his phone, but you will hear it as soon as Ian Foster says it.
1: Okay, cool, uh, Steph. Uh, look forward to that. Uh, Tim's just come in and said, great text, that man. Mm. Absolutely was, uh, Joe Battler. So, um, uh, yeah, I think you've really pretty much summed up a whole week of uh, radio for me anyway. Uh, as to the way that the country is feeling in a lot of those directions. Uh, Staff, have a great show. Um, Thanks, everyone, for taking part this week. It's been fascinating. we hope we get some genuine answers in the next couple of hours. Uh, To Niv, uh, thank you very much for being uh, on the panel this week, for Aruha, of course, a wonderful news reading, and to Logan putting the whole damn deal together. Have a great weekend, everybody, and we'll see you Monday morning.